The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every single month. Keep listening to this episode for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Alexander Sadiq, Dr. Julian Bashir on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Wayback office at Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and here we are with episode number, well, geez, I think it's 248, if memory serves. No pun intended. Um, we're excited to talk about the this memorable episode today because uh, we're going to celebrate an anniversary. And by we, of course, I do mean my co-host and I. Um, yeah, he's he's Dan Davidson. I just uh, I'm tired of introducing him. So here he is. Hey, buddy. Wow. Uh, happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow, I can't believe you just quoted that. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's, thanks for thanks for that wonderful intro. That might be the best introduction you've ever had, um, because we know that from time to time you don't even introduce yourself. It's great to be here, buddy. Uh, thanks. Uh, yes, episode two forty eight. Uh, good memory you have there. Uh, it's a special episode because, as we seem to have done for the last three years, or maybe even four. Maybe this is the four, this is actually the fourth year we've done it in a row. We are going to start a year long celebration of a Star Trek. Uh, show or series or whatever you want to put it so uh happy anniversary enterprise it's enterprise 20 all year long here on the trek geek podcast network the thing that blows my mind is it's been 20 years since the show came out i feel like it wasn't that long ago Uh, now i'm old you've been old for quite a while (laughs) um i just want to point that out and you'll always be older than me and that's really all that matters that's right that's the best two weeks of my life (laughs) (laughs) did you watch the show first run yes i did as a matter of fact, uh, the first run was the only time I have had a complete watch through, um, and it wasn't even complete at the time. I would have to; it wasn't in successive order. I'd have to go back because I missed some during the initial uh, run of the show. Um, and I have started; I had started a rewatch a while back, thanks to our good friends, Heroes H and I. But uh, I'd have to throw that in because I haven't done it in a while. Um, but I have not finished it. So one of the things I have on my uh, checklist for 2021 is to completely watch Enterprise for Enterprise 20. Back to you, Bill. <laughs> wow, that was a lengthy, epi- a lengthy way of saying I'm just going to rewatch Enterprise. <laughs> well, you know, 
I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Don't <laughs> Actually, I know I it. hate the sound of my own voice, but that's okay. <laughs> that's amazing, because so do the listeners. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought, so why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with us if they want to talk about uh, their love of enterprise? I will be happy to do that. We want to hear. We really want to hear from people about their love of enterprise too. It's a it's a series that deserves the love. And there's a whole bunch of ways that you can get in touch with us. You can just go to trekgeek slash contact, and from there you can email us. You can send us a voicemail. You can chat with us, or you can tweet at us. Also, as always, you can go to Camp Kit. Camp Kittimer, uh, the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks Podcast <laughs> Network on Facebook. I can't talk. Be good. Uh, it's the most positive Trek group on Facebook. There's no trolling. There's no gatekeeping ever allowed. Only people celebrating what they love about Trek. So just search for Camp Kittimer. We'll let you right in. And uh, we want to give a great thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and the Farkalicious one himself, Andy Fark, for the amazing job they do running the camp. But as always, please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. I remember a time not long ago when you used to commend yourself uh, for making it through the contact information flawlessly. Those yeah, days are gone. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> those, Happy those 2021, days. buddy. <laughs> those days have sailed right on by. Bye-bye. <laughs>And I think it's fair to say that 2021 is going to be an incredible year for Star Trek and Star Trek merchandise. You and I have seen some sneak peeks of what Fansets is working on for the year. And, well, let's just say this. People are going to be blown away. Yeah, they absolutely are going to be blown away, Bill. Uh, and if just the beginning of this year is any indication of what to expect. I think folks will definitely agree that Fansets has the best Star Trek collectibles with all the pins that they put out. Just this month, we've seen all of these. Cristobal Rios and Dr. Agnes Girardi from Star Trek Picard. Episode pins one through four for Star Trek Picard. Lieutenant Owo and Lieutenant Nilsson from Star Trek Discovery. The Doomsday Machine ship pin, OMG. Uh, and the TNG All Good Things full-size Delta. Those have already been released. And that's just for January, buddy. And on top of that, you can add the following pins to your collection starting February 1st. Lieutenant Rise from uh, Star Trek Discovery. Or Reese Rise. Reese Rise? Reese Rise? Which one is Reese. it? Reese. Reese, thank you. Uh, Reese Rise, you know, Reese. Uh, Luther Sloan, buddy. Luther Sloan is finally coming out from Deep Space Nine. Can't wait for that pin. Uh, the latest release for the Women of Trek collection, Dr. Christine Chapel. Picard episode pin number five for Stardust City Rag. And finally, the magnetic-backed Picard Delta pin will be available. That's fantastic. What a list. That's 15 pins in the first few weeks of 2021. And like Enterprise, Bill, this is only the beginning. Oh, absolutely. And I just want to make one clarification to the list of pins that you read out there. You said Dr. Christine Chapel, but it's really Nurse Christine Chapel from exactly. TOS. Thank you very much. I did screw that up. Uh, I was thinking of when in the movies when she yep. got uh, a doctor. So my apologies. It is Nurse Christine Chapel uh, from TOS, not the movies. Thank you, buddy. I'm going to say there should be a second Women of Trek pin for mm. Dr. Christine Chapel, but I, that's going to be my vote, quite frankly. Um, Absolutely. That list you read is truly unbelievable. 2021 is going to be the year of the pins from fansets. Mark my words. 
So if you want to see other sneak peeks of what Fansets has coming soon, be sure to check out their social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And then, you know you know what I'm going to say. Head on over to their site, put a bunch of stuff in your cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's special Trek Geeks discount code word, TUCKER. That's T-U-C-K-E-R in all caps. It sounds very much like a name I use for Dan on a regular basis. <laughs> That's going to get you an amazing 10% off your entire order. Now, this offer is going to be good until February 3rd, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Plus, don't forget, when you spend more than 30 bucks, you're automatically going to get free shipping in the United States. Tucker, in all caps, Captain. Any, actually, actually, yes. Uh, fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Bill, uh, it's the season of love, and here at Trek Geeks, we love small businesses like our friends at Science Division. Love, oh, exciting and new. Oh, sorry, I, I it automatically makes me think of the Love Boat and that great podcast, Lido Deck, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> Dan, we do, we do love our friends at Science Division, and of course, they have the perfect gift unique for the geek in your life. That's right, it's the galaxy's first app-enabled interactive Tribble. Order now. And at sciencediv.com, and for a limited time, it's going to arrive with a custom, custom plush rose and special festive packaging, perfect to give as a gift. This high-quality Star Trek collectible looks like it's beamed in straight from Star Trek, and what makes it even better is that it sounds that way, too, with authentic Tribble sounds that every Trekkie will instantly recognize. Plus, Science Division has some brand new accessories, like their official tote bag, which will be perfect for when conventions start up again. These canvas tote bags have the Science Division Gamma Ray Burst logo, and let me tell you, they are truly massive, just like Bill's forehead. They'll be perfect for lugging all your swag around, and for a limited time, they're shipping with a pixel art triple pin and a set of Tribbles of Vegas cards. So order now. And you can even get the Galaxy's first app-enabled interactive Tribble and the special holiday packaging for $5 off. Just use the special Trek Geeks discount code ARCHER. That's A-R-C-H-E-R in all caps. This code is good to use until Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. And remember, discount codes are not dangerous. No. No, they're not. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, here we are, uh, 20 years ago this year, which is amazing to believe. Unbelievable. Star Trek Enterprise, of course, then known as just Enterprise. Right. Um, graced the airwaves in late September of that year. Um, I think it was supposed to have premiered earlier, but 9-11 kind of put a dent in its premiere date. Right. And it's hard to believe that was 20 years ago, but that's another topic for another time. Right. Um, did you watch the pilot the night it premiered? Absolutely on UPN. Oh, I should say, yeah. Um, I absolutely <laughs> did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember being very excited for it and I did watch it and I was like, okay. This could be something. Hated the ship, but I have certainly come around on that. But I did really? not like it. At first, I'm like, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be pre-NCC-1701. So I didn't like it at first. I uh, See, I thought it was a really nice 
um, not really an homage, but sort of a predecessor to what we would come to know as as, as the oh. TOS Enterprise. Oh, I I agree 100%. It was a, a great, like, kind of like tribute to it, but it looked way too modern for what we knew. I'm sure we're going to get into that later, but um, I'm like, okay, that's it's cool, but it's not right, but... <laughs> you know, we've had that we've had that discussion now with discovery and and the look of things and stuff like that. So back then I was a little bit more uh, negative towards it than I was towards stuff with discovery. But uh, I I was I was um, fairly impressed with the with the pilot when it first came out twenty years ago. How did you feel when they announced the premise of it being a prequel series? Because obviously up until that point we'd had successive series in the next gen era. Mm-hmm. first next gen and then ds9 and then voyager and then they decided to back up about 120 years or so and uh, actually more close to 200 years i'm sorry and then do um uh, enterprise how did you feel about that decision to set it in a timeline way ahead of tos i thought it was odd but i wasn't upset about it i know a lot of people were um i just thought it was kind of strange i'm like aren't they going to get themselves into a little bit of trouble doing this um but uh, I, I wasn't like, oh my God, this is going to be a joke. Why are they doing this? I didn't feel that way at all. I just thought it was a little a little odd, a little different to, to try to do that. It's like, why, why are you trying to fill in gaps that aren't really gaps when you think about it? Um, yeah. There's yeah. gaps between TOS and TNG, but there's no gap between and TOS because there wasn't anything before. TOS, right. unless right. you want to start talking about, you know, early space exploration by by NASA or something like that. Well, I think in a sense this was their answer to that. Maybe I'm wrong, but um I I was kind of on the fence about it. I wasn't sure how well a prequel would work. Um I had some concerns, but I thought that it was a great area to explore. You know, when they, they mentioned it was essentially the first deep space starship. Yep. Um, I'm like, okay, that that could be cool. See how things occur. See how we get to the Starfleet. We know, but I I have to admit, that the whole time I watched it, I was like, ah, they're gonna screw this up. Yeah. And that really was my main concern when it was live from 2001 to 2005. Was are they gonna screw this up? What in canon? Um, are, are they going to not pay attention to? And in hindsight, I feel kind of dirty f- having thought that way because I, I, I chastise people for thinking that way about discovery. Uh, yeah. It, it's amazing. It, it's, I didn't have that, um, that strong, uh, a feeling about it, yeah. but you're right. When I've talked to people about discovery and they're like, but it takes place before TOS. I'm like, doesn't matter. It's, it's only 10 years before, it's only 10 years before TOS. It's, it's fine. You're going to, it's, it's not a problem. You're going to love it. It's great. Whereas you're looking at, I think it's around a hundred years actually. Um, uh, the um, beginning of Enterprise yeah, and where TOS years. is. Um, uh, it, it wasn't something that was like this is gonna, you know, people that were, you know, having problems with it. I wasn't, I wasn't agreeing with them. I wasn't disagreeing with them. I'm just like, all right, let's just see how it is. Um, there's, there's. There's issues that I have had through 20 years of watching Enterprise with things that have taken place because it takes place before TOS uh, that I've gotten a little bit less vocal about or less concerned about. And we'll talk about them as we go through stuff here on the podcast. But um, all in all, it was uh, it was it was an interesting pilot and an interesting um, time in the Star Trek universe where they're finally going out. And they have to deal with the oh my god those Vulcans that's a whole other topic but uh, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> other than that no strong feelings on the matter 
oh, at, I've, at all. Yeah, I've I've I might as well say it right now because we just brought it up. I've said this many times. I I cannot the one if there's one thing that I can't stand about Enterprise, it was how they portrayed the Vulcans during that time frame. I thought it was awful. I could not stand it. And see, still to this day I got a lot of problems with it. See now, I, I have a theory about this. And I've thought about this a lot. This uh, issue actually came up on our Trek Geeks uh, Patreon Discord server mm-hmm. not long ago. And I I propose that the Vulcans of Enterprise were just like the Vulcans of TOS. We've modeled our belief of what Vulcans are on Spock, who's not Vulcan. He's half Vulcan and half human, and that permeates some of his personality. But in TOS, look at Sarek. He's a jerk. Look at T'Pau. She's not exactly a pleasant person. Look at T'Pring. She... (laughs) She essentially upended her own situation, put Kirk's life on the line simply just to get what she wanted. The Vulcans we meet in TOS are jerks. They they are, but I think the way that they're portrayed more in Enterprise, they're not just jerks. They're condescending. They're insulting. They're not supposed to have emotion or they're supposed to suppress it, but they always feel like they've got the negative emotions flowing through them whenever they're dealing with humans because for them, humans mm. were a substandard species and they treat humans as yeah. such with for someone for for a race that deals with logic and the quelling of emotions that was really strange to me and it just it seemed to be to, for me a lot higher a scale of that animosity slash arrogance that we saw with some of the people that we saw in TOS I totally agree with what you're saying but I think it was it was it was like piled on in Enterprise, maybe it's just because we dealt with the Vulcans a lot more in Enterprise than we did with the spotty guest stars that we would see—not uh, spotty guest stars, but spot, but guest stars that were spotted throughout the series uh, on TOS. I don't know. Well, I think that that's part of what Enterprise tried to address with, uh, like, the episode Fusion, for example, where they introduced the people, you know, the, the Vulcans who are more into like the Spock-like things, like mind melds or whatever, right. um, the teachings of Surak. You know, they, they kind of introduce the Vulcans we know in TOS as sort of this offshoot fringe. And um, I, I can believe that that permeates a good chunk of society by the time we get to TOS. I can believe that Vulcans have had a sea change just as societies all over the planet here have changed over time. Yeah. Um, but I still think that the Vulcans of TOS are just largely pricks. One of the things that I always found was interesting and never agreed with is some people, when we when I would talk to people back in the day about the way Vulcans were, well, you know, they you know they were very emotional for a long time, and it's not until they you know started really following logic that they started to suppress their emotions. And I'm like, no, because that had been going on for millennia, and it's not like they decided to just not be jerks in the 65, 70 years between the end of Enterprise and the beginning of TOS. So that's just not accurate at all. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Yeah. So um, we, we really can't talk about Enterprise being a prequel and, and when it aired without talking about the use of technology. Mm-hmm. You mentioned before the ship. You weren't exactly sold on the look of the Enterprise itself. I wasn't sold on the look inside the Enterprise. Well, I like that it looked more industrial. You know, and there were uh, there were hatchways, there were handrails, which I thought right. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology, while supposed to look more antiquated than TOS, actually looked more futuristic. And they had flat panel displays on set, <laughs> which you could buy for a tidy amount in most high end electronic stores at that time. Absolutely, it's funny that they made the the for me the outside of the ship was it was sexy and it was it was 
futuristic, which was what the problem was for me was because it, it didn't look like the gray battle gray or, or, or toned down white of, of the original NCC 1701 with its bulky uh, nacelles and, 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 um, saucer section and, and everything like that. And the inside, you're absolutely right. There were switches and dials, but there were flat screens and, and touch monitors, which was a little off because we never saw that at all a hundred years later. Um, but I, I, I liked the fact that they tried in other aspects to make it look more antiquated, like the communicators, yeah. um, which looked like they were basically like pieces of electronics that were taken apart and not really put <laughs> together right uh, again. Um, and the phasers kind of all – or their phase pistols, excuse me. Only two settings. Uh, don't screw them up. Um, so they did try in certain areas. But again, it, it, it's hard to have this discussion – and not sound like a hypocrite when we have the discussion about discovery, because we've totally come to the realization and accepted it with discovery that, you know, the technology that they use in today's world to make a show that takes place in the past of another show, we just have to deal with it because that's the, the flow of things in our real reality. We didn't do that with Enterprise, or at least no. I don't think we did. Um, we were like, oh, that shouldn't be like that because it doesn't look – it looks too futuristic, and that's just wrong. And it's funny how we've come full circle uh, from not accepting it to accepting it and being okay with it. I think a lot of it has to do with the budget, honestly, because Enterprise was not a huge budget show, not in the way Discovery is. Mm -hmm. And Discovery also is far more cinematic than the Berman era Star Trek was. Um, you know, they were still producing it, you know, on as close to, to shoestring budgets as, as they could, given the other expenses they had. Um, and they had to still make things go pretty far, whereas Discovery just gets money thrown at it practically yeah, by, by absolutely. comparison. Yeah. Plus, I think that Enterprise went a long way to desensitizing people to that kind of situation. I don't care about it as much with Discovery because I've already gone through it with Enterprise. That's true. That's a very good point. Yep. You know? Um, you know, one of the things, it's funny that we talk about the the um, the way that the inside of the Enterprise looked and it was more, uh, what was the word you used? Industrial. Industrial. I loved, one of the things that I, that always I thought was great, and I'm surprised that we don't have more bloopers of people, is when you go into quarters, you had to step up over a yeah. beam. Step yeah. over a beam. And I'm surprised that there aren't bloopers of people tripping over those because every time somebody would go into Archer's quarters or something, they'd step over that and be like, oh my God, that would drive me nuts. I would have that like like taken out. I'd like phased out, phasered out so that it wouldn't have to have that. <laughs> because but, because you know me, I'd be falling on my face all the time. Well, but then Porthos would get out. Aw. Aw. Porthos. <laughs> I, I love the fact that we had a dog in space. We had already yes. had cats and yeah. I was, uh, that's fine. And a the beetle. fact that we, we got a dog in space that wasn't Spock's dog. Right. Um, <laughs> made me very excited. The Spock unicorn dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think that for me, and this may be true of you too. I don't know. We haven't talked about this. I think that really the legacy of, of Star Trek Enterprise is its optimism. People talk about the optimism of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek and of the next generation. And I think it's very different from the optimism of Enterprise. Enterprise tells us that it's okay to make mistakes. That's how we learn. That's yeah. how we do things. You know, we're doing this for the first time and we're not going to be perfect, but we're going to do it the best we can. And we're going to represent... Earth and Starfleet to the best of our ability because we want to we want to see what's out there. I think it's it, it, it's an awesome optimism. I think it's carried throughout the entire series, and it's very different from say 
um, the original series or even Picard in Next Gen. I think it's a, a very different brand of optimism. I think you're absolutely right. And in addition to the optimism, and, and it's it's right from the very beginning, and I'm going to quote Archer. I told you I was going to quote it. And I am going to quote it. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready for our mission. In addition to the optimism of starting this new mission of deep space in the first uh, Warp 5 capable starship from humans, they constantly have to deal with the hurdles of the Vulcans, in particular, thinking of them as a um, lower race, and they're not ready, and they can't handle it. They're looked down upon, and... Archer seems to always have that, have to have that in the back of his mind, especially when he has to ask Vulcans for help, like Ambassador Saval. That's yeah. always something that they seem to have in their back pocket. Oh, well, we said you weren't ready. Ha, ha, ha. Well, the Vulcans wouldn't really ever say it like that, even though that's exactly <laughs> what Saval was thinking. But in addition to that optimism, there's also that being held back for as long as they were before they were able to start that mission into deep space. Yeah, it's an optimism that's born out of frustration and necessity yeah, to some exactly. extent. Um, almost half improvised, half compromised in a way. Uh, and I, But I, I love that it permeates the show the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times in Enterprise where the stakes are pretty dire. And if they don't come through, uh, Earth kind of hangs in the balance. And I hate using that phrase because it's so cliched, but... In in the Zindi season, it, it's actually pretty damn true. Yeah, but uh, it, it's it, it's still the kind of thing that makes you think of these people as pioneers on a frontier. Whereas I don't necessarily feel that way about TOS. Absolutely. Uh, look at the example. I can't think of the episode title right now. And I'm, unfortunately, and and I will be honest. I watched all of Enterprise when it was originally run. I didn't watch it every single week that it was on. I sometimes had to go back and, you know, tape and, and stuff like that. And I have not watched a rewatched in the 20 years. It's one of the things I want to do uh, this year for the anniversary. But there was an episode where you're exactly right. Earth hangs in the balance. And as a matter of fact, they're recalled because of some um, – incident that happens that is made to look like they did it even though they didn't where they kind of like torched an entire atmosphere of a planet yeah yeah um and so their their mission they they were called back and their mission was over um so they had a lot of of weight on their shoulders being the first ones out there to also succeed and when they didn't succeed everybody started pointing fingers and saying see we told you so yeah and and I, i like that that episode occurs and that it occurs so early on yeah because it shows that they made mistakes early on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not some kind of rule book. That's like, it's like Archer says, a dear doctor. I wish there was some kind of directive. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of bonk, bonk on the head. Johnny, there's not. There's no directive. You got to figure this out on your own, buddy. Yeah. Well, well, think of it as, as what did I say um, in Discovering Trek this week when I closed the show? I used a quote from Archer, and I think it was from the pilot where he says we're going to make we're going to stumble and make mistakes and we're going to learn from those mistakes that's what being human is all about that's exactly what enterprise is all about i'm glad you bring that up that uh, that uh, they are going to make those mistakes but there's still that air of optimism about the show so let's talk about the characters because you know every star trek series hinges on the crew that we come to know and and respect and love in many ways and uh, it was definitely a very different crew. It was more reminiscent of uh, the original series for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've, you've you've got a captain, you've got a first officer that's not human um, and got pointed ears, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> um, even though she's not in Starfleet at this point. 
Right. Just want to point that out there. Mm -hmm. You got an engineer, you got a doctor, you got a weapons dude. Um, it's kind of Kind of interesting. Yeah. You have a helmsman, no navigator, um, but a helmsman and a communications officer. So um, I, I thought that it was a very well-balanced crew. I love the casting for all of these roles, I have to say. There yeah. were times with some of the other series, I'm like, really? And I just didn't see it at first, and it had to grow on me. With these characters, and these actors in particular, I really thought that they nailed the casting from the get-go. I will say... Um Scott Bakula does not get near enough credit that he deserves for what he did in this role. Yeah. He is a genius as Jonathan Archer and how he portrayed him. Um, he had a temper. He he sometimes let it get the better of him. He had a – I've said it before. He had a lot on his shoulders about what was riding on this mission. And I love Bakula in this role. You know, I remember watching, I didn't watch Quantum Leap all the time, but I remember yeah. watching him then. And I really enjoyed what he brought to that show when I watched it when I was a lot younger. But when I heard that he was going to be the captain, I was extremely excited. Whereas with, had no idea who Patrick Stewart was when he was announced. Didn't really know anything about Avery Brooks, except he was Hawk. Uh, and didn't know anything about Kate Mulgrew with Voyager. So this was one that I'm like, oh yeah, I know this guy. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I remember Bakula, obviously, from Quantum Leap. I was I was skeptical when I heard he was cast at first. I'm like, really? Really? Huh. But then I thought about it. It's like, well, you know what? We got Avery Brooks, who was a known name at the time for Deep Space Nine. We got Kate Mulgrew, who was a known name at the time for the various things that she'd done. And then Bakula, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, Quantum Leap. He's also the guy who was in a Walt Disney TV movie of the week called I-Man. <laughs> which I remember seeing in the 80s. Wow. It was directed by Corey Allen, who directed a bunch of next-gen episodes. Um, and here is the log line from IMDb. Are you ready? Okay. When a man is exposed to alien gas, he acquires the ability to heal instantly and survive any injury or toxin. He was like the Steve Austin <laughs> of the, uh, the Disney world in a TV movie. Alien gas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so of course he he fights bad guys. Yeah. He's I Man. I Man. I Man. <laughs> I'm I Man. For as much as I had trepidation at first when I heard Bakula's announcement, all of it went away as soon as I watched the pilot because Scott Bakula is, like you said, perfect as Jonathan Archer. There, I don't think anybody could have played Archer the way he should have been played. And I have to say, I have nothing but respect for Bakula now. He has that air of coolness. I mean, one of my favorite lines, it's a short line, but it's written beginning, Neptune and back in six minutes. I, I just, I've, every time I see that, I just smile because I love he's good. And I have that NX-01 hat from that scene. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I've had it from way back in the day. And yeah, he just, he brings something to the role that, this is going to sound kind of corny, but he brings a, a level of humanity to the role of captain that we really hadn't seen before. We saw pieces of it maybe with, with Cisco with his son. But yep. we really never saw that uh, unless it was something like the inner light with Picard. Um, and it was very rare that we saw something like it with Janeway, um, even though she was a great um, uh, teacher of humanity. We never saw saw it portrayed the way that I think we saw it with Bakula. And it's something I always appreciated. Well, the other thing I appreciate about Bakula is that, you know, to this day, there's nobody who will say a bad word about the guy himself yeah. as an actor, yep. as a person. 
because they say he's just the most giving and gracious guy. And I think, well, that's the kind of person you want in a Star Trek series, isn't it? I would think so. Yeah. You know, yeah. top of the call sheet sets the example. And right. if you've got somebody like Bakula in that lead spot, um, you're in fantastic hands. I have he's to no believe. Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> Sorry. I had to throw it in there. <laughs> Neither is Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, it, he, it, it's funny that you, that you say that because I got to say at this point in our lives with all the Star Trek shows and everything, he's the, he's probably at the top of my list for who I really want to see at a convention because he doesn't do them very often. No. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I'm hoping he'll do the Vegas con this yeah. year because it's the 20th anniversary of Enterprise. But mm-hmm. let's be honest. We haven't heard anything from CBS about the 20th anniversary of Enterprise, although they're already, you know, touting the 55th anniversary of the original yeah. series. Yeah. And, and the other great thing about Bakula, and I'm so happy for him, is he's got a pretty damn good gig going right now with NCIS New Orleans, I think it is. Yep. Yep. Um, that's been what? It's been on for like 10 years or something now. Uh, it's really doing well. And, and he seems to have, have found the role. It's very disappointing that Enterprise only lasted four seasons because, of course, we would have loved to have seen him a lot longer. But he seems to be doing just fine down south. A little bit. So far, NCIS uh, New Orleans has been on for uh, seven seasons, seven 147 seasons. episodes or so. Might be down to price. Um, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> been long running. Plus, he works with one of my favorite uh, actors, CCH Pounder, who was on The Shield. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just amazing. Nice. Um, so, I, you know, that's, I'm not a big NCIS guy, though. I've, I've, I've watched episodes here and there, and they're good. I just have never gotten into any of the series. Really, if you've seen one episode of an NCIS show, <laughs> you've essentially seen them all. Pretty much, yeah. Let me spoil it for you. There's a murder of a Navy person, or by a Navy person, <laughs> and they investigate it and find him. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Spoiler it's, it's alert. A, it's a typical procedural, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, Subcommander to Paul. This was yes. a, a character that I had no interest in when the show was announced. I'm like, a Vulcan? Really? And then I fell back on the whole, well, Spock was the first Vulcan in Starfleet, although that's never said anywhere. Right. That's we just correct. believe he was. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, <laughs> I just think it's just one of those urban legends in Star Trek that people have come oh, to believe. I, just to play on that for a second, it's definitely an urban legend. They had a whole starship full of Vulcans. And I, you can't I know. tell me that the captain of that starship was uh, younger than Spock. I, that just, I never bought that for a second. Yeah. Like, so they went, got Spock and said, oh, we need a whole ship full of these guys. Yeah. Was it the Intrepid, I think it was? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Spock, definitely not the first Vulcan in Starfleet, but no. um, T'Pol's also not in Starfleet, which I think Correct. is a, a very important distinction to draw. She's still part of the, the Vulcan, whatever you call it, um, uh, defense ministry. Uh, she's on the science council. She's, she's on something. I'll, I'll, I'll check that. She's a sub commander. That's really what we want to know. <laughs> but she's kind of the liaison. It's like, well, if you humans are going to go out into space, you're going to take one of our people. Right. And honestly, it's a good thing they do. Uh, you're absolutely. Now, she may she may not like the fact that she's stuck with humans because they smell bad. And and she may not think it's the best job that she has. But it was a really good thing that she was put on the ship uh, for the crew's sake, I think, um, based on the fact that she had knowledge of what was out there. Um, and, and humans were just flying blind. Um, now, it's obvious Jolene was cast similarly to Jerry Ryan. 
for the she babe was appeal. The, the yeah. sex appeal for the the young guys that were going to be pulled into another Star Trek series. And I mean, they took advantage of that in the um, ads for the commercial before it even started. They would show mm-hmm. her in the decon chamber and they would show the alien dancers that were just wearing body paint with the long tongues flicking butterflies out of the air. Yep. So, I mean, it's, 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 obvious and and no disrespect towards Jolene Jolene because she did a fantastic job but it's obvious that the role was set up in that way because of the success of 7 of 9 I think um and I think she she handled it with class uh and she did a she did a good job she was one that at first I was kind of like eh but sh- she really grew on me as the series uh went on I'm going to make a bold statement and I'm going to def- this is the hill I'm going to die on people can at me all they want to to Paul is the best character in Enterprise Really? Uh, absolutely. I think that she displays so much emotion without displaying emotion. And I think that her journey is a very important one in the scope of the whole series. Uh, plus, Jolene, one hell of an actor. Yeah. Oh, and she oh, does not absolutely. get enough credit for what no, she brings to DePaul. Not at all. So I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, praise and defend Jolene Blaylock all year long, I'm sure, from people because she absolutely deserves it in this role. I think that's fantastic that they say that. I had not expected you to say that. Um, she's fantastic, absolutely. And you'll remember, I've talked about it before, I didn't yep. like her in the beginning. Yep. Um, I really did grow to appreciate the character. For me, Dr. Flox has always been uh, probably my favorite character on the show. Billingsley is is a genius. He's hilarious even when he's not trying to be. And when you talk to him when he's not in, char- in as Dr. Flox, he's even funnier. But <laughs> I always loved the character of Dr. Flox. And we'll get into him in a second again. So that would be my probably favorite with, with Topol close number two um and then archer a close number 2.1 probably uh so there you go <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna line these up like warp factors on exactly. a warp five ship uh-huh. never get to 10 though <laughs> nope you're never gonna get to six <laughs> that's right yeah, absolutely yeah um she has a lot of episodes later on in the series with the next character we wanted to just mention which is of course commander charles trip tucker the third mm. um a very necessary character, I think. It was good for Archer to have kind of a best bud in space. That's right, Captain. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> um, for as much as I like the concept of the character, there are many times I don't like the writing of this character. This has nothing to do with the performance of Connor Trenier. Connor does an amazing job with Trip, and I love him. However, yep. there are times when I think, especially the, you know, with the writing of this character, they make him a little too, ah, oh, shucky darns, Captain. Gomer Pyle. Gosh. Yeah, almost a little too hayseed for the future. For the future and the chief engineer of a warp-capable starship. A brilliant guy. Yeah. Yep. He's like, oh, shucks, let's have some catfish down by the bayou, Captain. Now, I get that that's to expose his his honesty, his uh-huh. innocence of sorts, um, but it's just a, it, it's it's an editorial choice in, in creating the character I just, I still kind of wrestle with today. And you're absolutely right. It has nothing to do with what Connor did. Connor was great with whatever he was dealt with, yep. and he was dealt some bad cards on Enterprise. I'm going to say that right now. He became pregnant, had a nipple on his wrist, and then, of course, we all know what happens in the finale, which I don't even want to get into right now. So he kind of got the short end of the stick, I might say, for uh, for Enterprise when you really come down to all of the cast. Well, maybe not. I got one more that I'm going to talk about later on. But in terms of in terms of what happens to him and 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 what his character arc and building was 
there were some questionable calls there, I think. There are times where Trip really shines, though. I don't want to take away from oh, right. Absolutely. from that. When when Trip is in command, he does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Um, he has some really good one-on-one scenes, both with T'Pol and with Archer. Um, there are times where Trip makes mistakes. There are times where he's overly exuberant. Um, yeah. and I think that that all plays to the newness and the, and, and the, the, the not knowing what to do in space. You know, they're the first people to do this and I get that. So right. I, I do appreciate Trip in the scope of Star Trek. Uh, like I said, I, I wish they had architected the character a little differently, but again, I love what Connor did. Of course, who can forget the nod he gives to Jim Morehouse? Also, I mean, that just goes without saying, doesn't it's, it? It, it? Not only is it, it very stern and very in command, but I mean, it's very resolute. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> read, read alert. <laughs> um, Dr. Flox, as you mentioned earlier, played by John Billingsley. If I, So I said to Paul was my number one character. Flox is 1A. Okay. He's right there because um, you're right. Billingsley just slays this role, man. He's so good. And it's funny, uh, on my desktop at, at home here, on my podcast computers, on my two monitors, and I have rotating as backgrounds every album cover that we've done for the podcast, and it rotates every couple of minutes. And every once in a while, I'll just catch out of the corner of my eye the episode that we did with Dear Do- of Dear Doctor. And it's a great close-up of Billingsley in his makeup. It's very high. Uh, it's very HD. You can see the lenses, how his pupils look different because he's a Denobulian. I can't say it. I'm not even going to try. Denobulian. Um, thank you. Um, and the makeup is fantastic. I love that species. And it, it's. I'm glad that they brought in a new species like this on Enterprise, which really had a lot of gravitas with how the series went. We got to hear more about how their species was and how he was married to several women and they're married to several husbands and and the whole idea of society and this, that, and the other thing. And I just God, every time Billingsley was on on set and in front of the camera, it was it was brilliant. I love what he brings to this show. I love that we're there were two aliens in this crew who got to commiserate and yeah. talk about what it was like to work among and live among yep. humans. And I thought that the scenes with uh, with Flocks and T'Pol were especially good at times, mm-hmm. because Flocks had this sort of realism, as you know. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I've, I've been there, I've done that." And you know, I got over that ages ago. And T'Pol is just sort of like, you know, still trying to cut through her breadstick with a knife. <laughs> um, you know, and, so and it's funny. A lot of those scenes always take place in the mess hall, and they always seem to work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yep. because I mean, you know, when we get off the job. What do we do? We go to bars and restaurants in the normal world. We come home and have dinner with family. So I think that those kind of communal moments actually really work on this show better than others, honestly. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I like, and you're right. It it was very interesting to get two non-humans thoughts on what it was like to work on a ship full of humans. (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought it was awesome. Because we didn't get that on TOS because it was just Spock. Right. Um, so it was it was great to get that, um, and, and they seemed to every time they did it, they bonded a little bit more. I think. So I thought yes, that was really cool, absolutely. So uh, then, of course, we've got Lieutenant Malcolm Reed, played by Dominic Keating, um, a character I just didn't know what to make of at first. I thought he was a little too gung ho. I thought he was a little too trigger happy, but then I realized he really wasn't. 
he was kind of the wharf of his time. His job was to protect the ship, protect the captain, and he took that incredibly seriously. Maybe it's because I've watched the Guns of Navarone one too many times. <laughs> they get a British guy who wants to blow stuff up. I start to think maybe he's a little crazy, but no, actually, Malcolm is a fantastic character. And I think what I like about Reed's character is his dependence on his family history and what they did in different um, branches of military. Uh, I think there's one particular episode where he talks about all the different uh, military that different parts of his family served in. And that's something that he really wears proudly on his sleeve, which is why I think he appreciates this role that he has on Enterprise as much as he does. I think I think he's a great character. I like his I like his humor. I like his seriousness at the same time. Um, and and you're right. I think that gung ho attitude is something that you have to have when you're the uh, head of security or weapons or whatever his title is on Enterprise. So it's something that I always really liked about it. And and you're right, Dom, another one that Dominic did just a great job with. I love it when they introduce the Makos because it creates some real yeah. tension for him mm-hmm. um, and really some uncertainty. It's like, well, you know, am I the head of security or, or, or aren't I? Um, and it leads to some really great conflict and, and some episodes. And I, I think it helps him really kind of figure out what he's supposed to be. Very reminiscent of me when that happened, for me, when the Federation showed up and were kind of taking over things from Odo and he had such a hard time with it on DS9. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we've got uh, the guy who pilots the ship, Ensign Travis Mayweather, our sort of boomer in space, played by Anthony Montgomery. And I, I have to say... I knew nothing of Anthony Montgomery when Enterprise started. I haven't looked at his IMDb credits, but I have to believe it's one of his first gigs or one of his first big jobs. But man, what an underutilized character. And Thank what you. A, what a great, great talent Anthony Montgomery is. We've, we saw him at Trek Boss 2014. Oh, I'm going to get into that, yeah. The weekend where we I kind of hatched the idea of Trek Geeks on you, honestly. Right, yep. And what a super positive upbeat, energizing guy. Um, I I would watch Anthony Montgomery do anything. I'd watch him read the phone book. He is that uh, compelling, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, I, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It, it's, it's too bad because Anthony did such a great job and I love the storylines that he had about him being the boomer in space. Um, and then the one that, you know, where he's, where he's with his family so underutilized and and it's aggravating because to me at times it felt like well he's the african american of the cast so he did, you know we're just we're going to bring him in when we need to and that bothered me it may not have been what was happening but that's how i felt about it sometimes and it really bugged me so that was something that um he, he had so much potential for that character and just was never used in, in my mind it was very rare that he was but i got to say um you talked about it a second ago we had the opportunity to listen to him on stage at Trek Boss in 2014, and I talked to you while we were sitting on stage. And I want to go up to him. I want to go up. On the, I want to go up to the mic, and I want. I want to tell my story that about what happened with me. And I was kind of really not thinking I was going to do it. And you kind of pushed me on. I said, "Yeah, go do it. Go do it." So I stood up and I stood for a while. There were a few people in front of me. Yeah, and I got to the mic. And I told my story about what happened with me and how I, I almost took my own life. And he was standing there watching, listening intently. And when I was done, I put I, I, I thanked him and I started to walk back towards the seat where you were. And he came to the corner of the stage and stopped me just to shake my hand. And I will never in my life forget that or forget the feeling that I had when he did that. And you got a picture of it as, as, uh, and, and it's not, it's, it's a little bit blurry because I think it happened so fast, but yeah. 
I'll tell you what, he's fantastic. And, and we, uh, I met him in, at STLV a couple years later and I reminded him about that and he remembered it. And it, it's just something that, you know, you think that these people are so busy that they don't, they don't appreciate some of the, the things in life that occur. And, and he really did. And it was great. And plus he's also in general or has been on general hospital before. So that's another plus. That's <laughs> I knew you were going to make that connection. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, we, we, we have to talk about, and certainly not least, I, I have to say, we didn't, we, we didn't put Hoshi last for any no. reason. Um, say the best for last. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Ensign go. Hoshi Sato played by just the remarkable Linda Park. I love, 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 love Hoshi Sato because Hoshi is us if mm-hmm. we were in space. Yep. She's unsure. She's got fear. Scared. She doesn't think she's supposed to be there. She's very much us. Mm-hmm. Because as much as we'd want to be Captain Archer, we would all be Hoshi Sato. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's another thing that I appreciated what they did. We're in TOS time. Everybody's, you know, hey, Starfleet, gung-ho, sis-boom-ba, rah-rah-rah. They're, you know, they're ready to go and explore and defend. And she's petrified. And I think it's the second episode of the season where she has to go to that derelict ship. And she's really scared. And she's yeah. screaming. And, and it's not something that we're used to seeing in Star Trek. But it's who we are, not you and I, but it's who we are. People aren't just going to go out into the unknown and be all, I'm going to be able to be fine. I don't care how strong and macho or whatever you think you are. You're going to be scared. There's going to be times where you're going to be petrified. And she shows it, and it works on every single level. Absolutely. So we can't talk about the cast of Enterprise without talking about some of the more common recurring characters. In Deep Space Nine, we had this great slate of characters that came in and out and really added depth and texture to Deep Space Nine. And I think mm-hmm. the same is very true of Enterprise. And you have to start with Von, Von Armstrong as Admiral Forrest. Yep. Um, Forrest, he's kind of, he's the cement, you know, in this whole thing. He's, he's the guy that Archer reports to. He's the single contact at Starfleet. He is Starfleet. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, Vaughn has that sort of, um, that ability to play that role with this sort of disbelief and authority at the same time. And I think it's something that really works for the character. And I think he's one of the few people in upper command that we ever see who wants Enterprise to succeed in the mission. He does everything he possibly can to make sure that they are okay and not, you know, having to deal with the the fallback on things. He really puts his neck out on the line a couple of times in order to help protect the crew with what's going on around him. And Vaughn's just fantastic. He's fantastic in every guest appearance he makes uh, over the universe in Star Trek. But as Admiral Forrest, I think it's it's really a special one. I think we see him more as Admiral Forrest than any other character in Star Trek. And, and it, it really plays well. And I got to say, I love him as... Forest in the mirror universe, which we'll get to later. <laughs> Maybe we will. Um, <laughs> of course, there's also crewman first class Cutler, played by Kelly Waymeyer, um, a, a character we saw a lot of in, um, I think it was Dear Doctor. Yes. Um, but uh, Kelly Waymeyer departed way too soon. She dev- died in November of 2003 at the yeah. age of 36. Um, wow. I'd seen her in Six Feet Under. I'd seen her in a couple of other things. When I saw her pop up in Star Trek, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really kind of a bummer that she was taken, you know, far too soon because it would have been nice to see her um, go through the entire series. I liked how she had the hots for flocks. Yeah. Uh, but then was fine when he was kind of like, well, I'm married and my wife, I'm married to my wife and other wives and my wives are married to other. That's when I brought that up earlier. But um, I, I liked, 
I like how she's like, oh, all right, well, I, we'll just be friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I'd be like, come on, man, I want to do Dr. Flocks. <laughs> I had forgotten that Kelly Waymeyer had also been in the Voyager episode Muse. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Until I looked it up, I'm That's like, That's right. That's oh, wow. right. Yep. I totally escaped my mind. So um, everything revolves around. So it's it's not it's not six nine degrees or six degrees of Kevin Bacon anymore. No, it's, it's not. six degrees of Star Trek. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, I, I really wish that there had been more opportunity to to grow Cutler as a character. I'm glad they didn't recast the character. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree with that. As much as I think it could have been a really interesting addition permanently to the series, um, it's just it's a, it's a really sad loss. Yeah. Of course, there's uh, Ambassador Saval played by Gary Graham. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, the, the our link to Vulcan, if you will. We have to right. Paul, but she kind of reports to Saval, and Saval's never been on board with this whole human thing. Never has been, and you can see the disdain that he has, especially at the beginning. But I will say that over the course of the four seasons, he softened. Uh, he became more um, maybe, emotional. Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit, um, but more. In a way, he wanted the crew to succeed, although he would never show that up front. You could kind of tell that's what that's how he was hoping. And again, another Mirror Universe tie-in. I love the Soval of the Mirror Universe, too. Of course, he had to have a beard because it appears that every Vulcan in the Mirror Universe has to have a beard. I know, right? What's up with that? I don't know what that's all about. I don't get it. Um, and then, of course, I mean, oh. you can't talk about recurring <laughs> characters without talking about the best one in Enterprise. And I did say this one for last on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And that's Shran is played by the remarkable and in- insanely talented Jeffrey Combs. What can you say about this guy, about this actor, about this character? And I will tell you, when it was first, when he first appeared on screen in blue with those antenna, oh man, what a happy day. Because everybody who listens to the show knows how I feel about Wayun. Loved him as Wayun. Just think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, loved him as Brunt. Um, but to have him as an Andorian, which we have not seen a lot of Andorians in Star Trek before Enterprise. We only saw him here and there. He just takes that role and runs with it, and it's fantastic. Pink skin. Whoever came up with that term, pink skin, because that's just wonderful. So uh, let's be honest. There are times when you watch Star Trek Discovery where you scream in excitement at your television when something happens that you weren't expecting. Yeah. The first time you saw Jeff Combs as an Andorian, did you scream at your television? I don't remember. I got to be honest. I don't. I probably knowing you me, probably did. Probably did. But uh, it, it is one of those. That's how excited I was. So I wouldn't be surprised if I did. But yeah, he is just so great. And 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 even though he's he's not in a lot of episodes, his backstory, especially mm. later on at the end of the series, is really interesting. He's a great character. For God's sake, they named a starship after him in Discovery. So uh, you know that uh, he was uh, pretty important. And uh, Jeffrey Combs is a, it's such a genius. He really is. Absolutely. really is. So good. So before we start talking about our favorite pers- or personal favorite episodes, we asked our Facebook and Twitter followers about their favorite episodes. And these were some of the responses we got in no particular order. We're not going to talk about these really too in depth mm-hmm. because some of them we'll go through during See It or Skip It later this year, or True. some of these episodes we'll actually do a full blown Trek Geeks episodes for. Oh. Um, so I'm just going to call out some of these um, and and we can go, oh, yeah. yeah. Like Observer Effect. Oh, yeah. I actually, I really dig this episode <laughs> because that's the one with the Organians, if memory serves. 
Oh my gosh, I don't remember this one. Oh, I don't, really? I'm, I'm having a complete blank. Oh yeah, complete blank. We'll Get rid of that rewatch. So when we do see it or skip it, an observer effect comes up. Dan's gonna be like, I had no memory of all at all of this episode. Well, I'll be watching it now, so that won't happen. <laughs> Let me go through the list of some of the others that people named. Sure. Uh, there's the Forge. That's a great mm-hmm. episode. Regeneration, yep, yep. Oh, the yeah. Borg episode, which we yep. talked about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Crossing. Yep. Minefield. Yep, yep. Fantastic good, good. episode. I love that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Of course, Broken Bow, the, the pilot, which we've actually already done a Trek Geeks episode on, so we won't we be have. doing that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Andorian Incident, which I think is a <laughs> landmark episode of that first season. Yep. Um, uh, well, I was going to skip that one because we're going to talk about it later. Okay. Um, Desert Crossing. Let the host do the, do his job. I'm, I'm sorry. I was reading copy and I should have kept my mind. I thought I was on mute to be perfectly honest with you. No, it's because you're no, an idiot. I'm completely lying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Communicator, which I think is a really fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Cogenitor. I really like that episode. That is a good episode. I, do, I know people I like who hate this episode. No, I think it's a good one. I like it. I also know people who hate First Flight. That's the one with... Um, um, A.G. Robinson. Oh, no, I like that one. I love that episode. Yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah. Wow. Um, Stormfront, fantastic episode. Fantastic episode. Yeah. Uh, Is that the one with the P-51s? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good episode. <laughs> uh, Awakening, Kirshara, Affliction, Azadi Prime. That's I, a great one. I love Azadi Prime. Yep. E2, which is, E2. I, I like that episode a great deal. Phenomenal episode. An episode you might have an interest in, In a Mirror Darkly. A little bit. <laughs> so were you stunned the first time they did a, a well when they did the mirror universe episode oh yeah oh i was just i was i was a kid in a candy store baby and then they had the corn and it kind of all went to crap <laughs> <laughs> and the deck plating oh uh yeah anyway i thought the sets looked amazing though they did they oh, oh my god one and the way that they will get into it but the, the way they tied it in to the Defiant Natholian web was ingenious, and it was just awesome. We will do an episode on In a Mirror Darkly this year. Yeah, we will. Uh, well, in that case, now we're not, so <laughs> screw you. Uh, Carbon Creek, which we've talked about on, on Trek Geeks before. Fantastic. Dead Stop. Yep. Um, but uh, I have to go back to Similitude. Yeah. Which I know is is going to, you've got on your list of some of your personal favorites. We'll talk about some of yours in a minute, but uh, what is it you like about Similitude? It's the Tuvix of Enterprise. Plain you really think so? I really do. I mean, they grow. They grow another. Uh, they grow another uh, trip so that they can use him to save the real trip and let that one die. That's what it comes down to. What do you? What you know? I mean, it, that's it's that cut and dry. We're gonna create. We're gonna have this creation so that we can use parts of him hmm. to fix the real guy. And we're going to, he's going to die, but that's okay because we're going to save the other guy. It's Tuvix and Enterprise. I've never looked at it as the Tuvix of Enterprise. And that's yeah. only because there's no dilemma. They knew they were going to kill, they knew they were going to kill him from the get-go. But they make it a dilemma because people start to feel for him. Yeah, see, I never, I never bought that though. Okay. As much as I liked the episode, I just, I never thought it was. Huh. That's interesting. Well, plus, I mean, Tuvix straight up gets murdered. Well, well yeah. Sim kind of sacrifices himself because yeah. he doesn't want to. Yeah. But he knows what the end game is, and he, you know, he kind of does it willingly. But let's, but let me ask you: if he didn't do it willingly, would it have been ended up being like Tuvix? I think and to some extent, anyway. because I yeah. think the murder aspect, Janeway's yeah. decision is, is what makes Tuvix Tuvix. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's so, that's a good comparison. What others? Um, what others do you have in your personal favorite list? Well, I got to tell you, we already talked about the Andorian incident. 
um, thank you, Jeffrey Combs, because, you know, there are aspects of that story which are a little, okay, it's, it's the Vulcans and their history, and they're this advanced race, but they still have all these, you know, dust-filled rooms filled with old tiki torches and stuff like that. But um, Jeff Combs just does it great, and you get to finally see this 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 headbutting between the Vulcans and the Andorians, which is great. Um, it may be controversial to love this one as much as I do, but we said it a minute ago, Regeneration is a great episode. Mm. Uh, I love how they tied it into First Contact the way they did. Um, and they were able to keep the Borg secret by the way that everything was done. And they even had a little little tease at the end when Archer said that it would take something like 200 years or I forget the, uh, the years yeah. it would take for the signal to get to where it was sent. So we know that they're coming back, which, oh, that's the time frame for the next generation. I thought that was pretty good. Um, Carbon Creek is fantastic. You know, we did a whole episode on Trek Geeks, uh, which is great. The Augments arc, which we just recently talked about, yeah, yeah. Uh, is is really great. I had not watched that one since it originally aired, or those three, I should say. And I really, really had fun with them when I watched them for our uh, uh, talk of it on, on the podcast uh, a few months ago. I, I have to agree with all those, although personally, I have one favorite episode in Enterprise. Me too. Um, it's, it, you know, there are plenty that I like. There are plenty that I love, but there's only one that I think hands down is the best by far, mm-hmm. and it's Twilight. Yep. I think that it is Enterprise's city on the edge of forever. Um, it, it's the episode that stands that head and shoulders above everything else. Dare I say that for me, it's better than sitting on the edge of forever? Oh, I'll say that too. Because oh, okay. I, yeah. I, but I, I think in, as far as in the scope of that series, yeah. Uh, whereas many people hold up sitting on the edge as mm-hmm. TOS's finest, mo- finest yeah. episode. Yeah. I think that it's Twilight for Enterprise. Yeah. Abs- I mean, it, it'd be nice if we each had a different favorite to talk about, but there's, there's no, there's no discussion. Twilight is by far my favorite episode of Enterprise. It, it it's, it's unbelievably written. Uh, the storyline, even you know, it's even though it's a reset button mm-hmm. episode, it doesn't matter because the story, the writing, and the acting, especially with Bakula and uh, Jolene, is is ten out of ten stars. It's just fantastic. I love every aspect about that episode. Both Bakula and uh, Blaylock act the hell out of that episode. Yep, yep. and it's uh, it's amazing to watch every time. I'm never disappointed by it. Nope, not at all. So Dan, all throughout 2021, we'll be looking at Enterprise on and off, kind of like we yep. did with the other anniversary years. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we got some Theater Skippets coming. We got four of those queued up throughout the year. Nice. And uh, all kinds of things that we're going to look at. Hopefully some special guests in the future to talk about Enterprise. But uh, I'm looking forward to celebrating this show all year long, man, because uh, it's a show that I think just becomes more and more loved as time goes on. It's interesting that we've seen this now over the course of a couple of the shows. Deep Space Nine never got the love that it should have gotten from the vast majority of fans when it was originally run. And now most people consider it their favorite Star Trek series, you and I included, but mm-hmm. we've it's been our favorite since it originally aired. Voyager the same way, at least for us. Um, we never really got into it until we did our rewatch, and we had a blast with that and had a fantastic time with Voyager 25 all last year. And we're going to continue it along with Voyager 26 this year because of the pandemic. And it's about time that Enterprise gets the recognition that it deserves. So with this 20th anniversary, 20 years, my God, with this 20th anniversary of Enterprise, I really hope that not only us as podcasters and as fans, but our listeners and all of Star Trek fans around the globe start to really give it the love that it deserves. I think that's starting already a little bit when you see things on Twitter and stuff about Enterprise. Um, 
I'm really looking forward to the entire anniversary year, and I really hope that the folks at uh, at StarTrek.com and, and CBS really do some special things for this show, for the cast, and for all the people that that uh, that made it a reality for those four seasons. Hundred percent agree. Um, here's to the coming year and uh, celebrating this this fantastic Star Trek. I'm looking forward to it. it I, I gotta say, it it's been a long road. Anyway, it's, it's been a long road. <laughs> there you go, go, buddy, sing it, sing that song. No, because Spotify will yeah, get us off the platform. True. Dan, uh, the other thing we're not going to sing is the music of Five Year Mission because that's landed us in hot water before, <laughs> uh, or you specifically. Wow. Um, as we learned in the outtakes special from, or the the Farkism special from uh, this past That's year. right. That's right. Uh, but we want to thank Five Year Mission for letting us use their music all across the Trek Geeks podcast network and here on the flagship. Um, year one, year two, year three, year four, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles, and someday year five, we want you to go out to fiveyearmission.net, get all those albums. Become a huge fan of this band because you and I are ourselves, and um, we pretty much listen to them all the time. All the time. You can, you, you'll you hear Five Year Mission probably in every single show on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, including some podcast called Five Year Mission, the podcast. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. I, I don't know how they come up with that name, but it's pretty They good. are smart. They make things go. Um, but you know what, Bill? You know what I got to say? Oh, God. War is hell. Uh, the Dominion is relentless. And people don't realize what it's like to be on the front lines until this episode. Cisco and the crew fight a brutal ground battle against the Jem'Hadar to maintain an essential band concert outpost. All the death, all the suffering, Bill. And, and Nog loses a leg, but the Federation holds, and five-year mission music can still be heard throughout the quadrant. But was it, was it really all worth it? You'll have to make up your own mind when you watch uh, The Siege of F-A-R-C-558. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> so it's, I had a I had this grandiose dream, and maybe it was more of a nightmare at this point, <laughs> that in 2021, you would elevate these Farkisms to a new level where they might actually be good. I see now that I must have been drunk. Well... I don't want to take all the blame for this because I will say, and you know, because you were part of the chat, this idea of this particular title was um, from our friend uh, Chris Trebuzio. Uh And uh, he gave me the idea. He planted that seed, so to speak. So wait, you're going to throw Tribs under the bus because you actually under, wrote this? Oh, no, I'm not throwing him under the bus. He came up with the idea and I wrote the whatever it is you want to call it that I wrote. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, but it's an important episode. Uh, let's, F-A-R-C 558. Let's call it piece of crap is what you wrote. <laughs> wow. But, you see, uh, you would, uh, you immediately pointing out that, oh, he came up with the idea is really just the I, the soft way of throwing somebody I, else under the bus. Hey, Tribs, you know what, buddy? I thought it was a fantastic idea. You know, don't listen to this guy. I mean, pay, hey, the people wanted an entire episode of Farkisms. I'm just going to say that. Tribs came up with this great idea after he really didn't have a good idea, but then he came up with this one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I loved it. And I actually said, I'm going to use that one this week. And I did. And I'm, I'm giving him the credit because he deserves the credit because it's a great one, Tribs. You deserve it. Five-year mission. Go out and get all their music. Buy their albums, yo. That's Sorry, so just... not what you said off mic. That's amazing. <laughs> of course, don't forget you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get all kinds of exclusive perks. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. Actually, I'm still I'm still kind of upset about the trips thing. Um, <laughs> get over you know, it. <laughs> I, I will. I'll get it. Don't worry. I will. Yeah, yeah. Become a patron. It's it's just great stuff. You're going to get an annual supporters pin. We had a great batch of shirts this past year, which people are loving, and they're showing them off on on Twitter. Um, there's just a whole lot of other perks, and there could be some new perks this year too, Bill. Um, in case you didn't read the memo, um, but we hey. want to take a. Well, oh. okay. Yeah, okay. We want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so very grateful for their support. And they are Dave Andrews, Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Brooke Horton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mollenkoff, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Blake Strike, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Trey Romack, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing. <laughs> gotcha. All right, so spoiler alert. When each of us are reading a list of names, we all try we try to distract the other one. And most of the time, I don't crack. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah. This time, I cracked. You cracked. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Craig Ewing, Al Godwin, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Le- Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Tony Lambast, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, huh? Ken Tripp, <laughs> Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. You, too, can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Dan, during the month of February, we'll be featuring other amazing Trekkies and Trekkers on the podcast. And next week, we kick that off with an amazing group of women. Dude, I am so excited. Indeed, we will. In February, Trek Geeks will be hosted by other amazing individuals because we truly think their voices deserve to be heard. Each week, we'll feature African-American podcasters and content creators from our Star Trek fandom as they host Trek Geeks. We kick it off next week with our friends, the Sci-Fi Sisters, as they examine and celebrate the importance and the legacy of both Uhura and the legendary icon herself, Nichelle Nichols. And it all starts next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. I am so looking forward to this oh. uh, This four we- next four weeks. We have some great, great people lined up to host Trek Geeks. Dan and I will still be here in a limited capacity introducing the show mm-hmm. and, uh, and sort of doing the handoff to uh, the content. But um, we really hope that you'll tune in for these very important episodes, highlighting these wonderfully... Uh, knowledgeable and and just gifted. positive, gifted and positive fans. Yeah, because that's really what we want to do next month is 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 introduce everybody to these people because you know what there are so many great Trekkies out there and we just we have an embarrassment of riches in that regard as a fandom. So that's next week on Trek Geeks. For more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. In addition to Rewind and Polytrex, Five Year Mission, Infinite Trek, and Deep Space Pride, you can now hear the latest podcast of the network, The Divine Treasury, a Star Trek Collectibles podcast with Jamie Rogers and Mike Bovia. Of course, you can find all our podcasts, including where to listen by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. Can't be any truer than this. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. And of course, for all the news on all 
world of Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 248 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready for our coconut, Bill. Starfleet's got another thing coming. (laughs) Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to the Trek Geeks on NPR. I got to say, it's great to be here. Um, I I prepared myself for this week's episode um, as much as I could. Hopefully, it'll be a laugh fest and not a snoozeroo like usually they are. I think you'll find that the main content of today's programming will be a jocular bonanza. Of guffaws and chortles. <laughs> wow. I don't know why I decided to, to start with Trek NPR. I don't even um, know what those words are. I know the chortles and guffaws, but I don't know. Yeah, you don't know anything. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, I don't. I do know that um, I, I, I love podcasting with you every week. I do know that. I'm very sure of it. I just said, you don't know anything. My wife comes up the stairs, opens the door and goes, Jon Snow. (laughs) Shakes her head. (laughs) Wow. Deep cut. Deep cut. Yeah. So I I think this makes you Jon Snow. Winter is coming. Dan Snow, she says. Dan Snow. I like that. Okay. (laughs) Dan Snow nothing. (laughs) Dan Snow nothing. Yeah, you get bad birdie on. See, what's funny is sometimes I, I, I intermix Cyrano Jones with Ben the Whale from Rudolph's Shiny New Year because he laughs like Cyrano Jones. He's like... Um, I watched Rudolph's Shiny New Year once the year it came out it's and never great. again because it's, it's terrible. The, the night is funny. It's me, Botkins. Anyway. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is the new year, so it's valid, uh, but but no, it's really... We're almost a month into the new year. It's still um, new. It's, it's, everything's new to you. Everything's new. It's a new yep. day. Uh, a new life. <laughs> and you're feeling good? <laughs> I'm always... I feel good. You know, I'm podcasting with you. It's the second time I said it in this podcast, so you know I'm lying. Anyway. <laughs> or you need something. I don't need anything. I need, uh, I need faith, though. Don't of, of, of the um uh. of the of the heart. Anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs>
you know, got to get it, got to get it out now because I don't want to. I, I, I told you last week I didn't want to hear it at all anymore this year. So what do I do? First week, first day back, I'm doing it. Yeah, I, well, don't don't get me wrong. I, I noticed the the direct contradiction. Yes, uh, and really just the the flagrant disregard for your own role. Absolutely. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I say. What? <laughs> but you know. Over the years, I've come to expect that from you, just what you just said. I mean, it makes it fun, though, doesn't it? Because you never know what's going to happen. It's like a box of chocolates, Forrest. Sure. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you have the aphasia virus from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't expect that. <laughs> well, no one expects the aphasia virus. That's, well, that's, the, that's why it's so <laughs> effective. Infective or effective? Effective. Infect. No, get it? Shut up. I'm oh, sorry. All right. Yeah. I, okay. Why do I do this? You know what? Six years. And it's, Six GD it's, years. It's, it's not old yet. It isn't. I'm old. You're old, but it's not old. Now speak for yourself. I plan to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that what Riker says? At the, is that what Riker says at the end of Generations? It is. With your yeah. favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you know the quote from the movie you hate the most. It's actually the best line in the movie. Probably, and of course, yeah, it's Frakes. Yeah. It's Frakes. So, I mean, the delivery is perfect. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Tricorder isn't the best line of the movie? <laughs> that is dumb. That's for you, Ryan Jeffs. That is dumb. <laughs> yeah. Love you, buddy. Oh, oh goodness gracious. So, yeah. I start, okay. <clears throat> oh, and I by know- the way, I'm drinking water because it's the middle of the afternoon. Oh, it doesn't mean anything usually. I'm drinking coffee, actually. Still my first cup, actually, to be honest with you. In my Trek Geeks mug, I will say. It looks very sporty. I've already had two cups of coffee um, by nine. I just finished it, so I have nothing to drink for the whole podcast. Oh, you have nothing, all right. <laughs> so I know that I'm supposed to be watching The Office, and I plan to. They took it off Netflix, and I just got to start watching it on Peacock or whatever. But the other day during lunch, I'm like, I just want to watch something, just not to keep my attention the whole time, but just to listen to what's going on. I started Breaking Bad again. <laughs> it's Always so a good choice. Awesome. Oh, God, it's so good. I've right been from the very beginning. I've been rewatching Sons of Anarchy. I'm almost done. Oh, it's so good. Um, but well, so here's the problem with Peacock is that you're only going to get the first two seasons with commercials, and then if you want to see the rest, you have to subscribe. Ah, and Peacock is just a terrible service. Yeah, I, we we checked it out one night because because it's free on Xfinity. Quote free on Xfinity. Yeah, um, and we weren't really impressed with the uh, with the material that they had available. We tried uh, the Xfinity Flex box because if you, they'll give you one of those as an Xfinity internet customer for free. Um, and so we tried to dial a Peacock and just the hardware itself was just slower than death. Uh, um, it was terrible. And it's like, you know what? I have an Amazon Fire TV. It's better. It's faster. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it's need like Peacock man. because I have the Office DVDs. Yeah. So I'll have to borrow them. By the way, speaking of $6 million man, oh my God, dude, I could not even believe it. The other night, Saturday night. We Sue, it's late at night. We just got out of the hot tub, and Sue, we're sitting on the couch. And Sue goes, "Let's stay up all night." And I'm like, uh, "No, that's not going to happen." But she goes, "Turn on the TV. Let's see what's on TV." So I turn on the TV on on one of those my TV or classic TVs or something. Yeah. The six million dollar man started, and I freaked out because it was the death probe episode. Part I love that two, episode. Which is which I kept saying to her, "This episode scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid." And we're watching it, and we're like this. 
It's just so that mustache that Lee Majors has in that season is just like wow. Now, was this the the original Death Probe or Return of Death Probe? It was the original one. It was part two, and it, it uh, he was with the helicopter. Uh, we didn't get that far. We get to the part it, when part two opens. He had just been uh, part one ends. He had just been thrown into the bushes by the probe, and it was coming at him. And that's when it went to part two. And gotcha. this, and right at the beginning of part two is when he gets his arm damaged, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> at the end of that one, if memory serves, um, they have to pick it up by helicopter. Yes. And the atmosphere and it detonates or something. or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, oh, I was like, oh my god, that's that's freaking awesome. But back to Sons of Anarchy for you. Let me rewind that. Back to Sons of Anarchy for a second. Yeah. Yes. Um, I loved your I loved your tweet the other day about Dougie Jones showing up. That's a that's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. He plays a character that is oh, just... Oh, boy. It's not a lot of screen time. It's but, not, uh, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I remember when I watched it a couple of years ago, one of my rewatches, I'm like, oh, my God, that is Doug. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to have Hellboy and Abe Sapien in the same shot in a different show. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Absolutely. Or, or Viceroy and uh, Captain Saru. There you go. That as well. Nicely done. Congratulations. You. you got a gold star for that one. Oh, is it really? Hey, I thought you'd like a gold star. Right. Gold star freeway. Uh, uh, uh. What? Oh, no, the lyrics. Da, na, 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 na. Uh. Is that an actual song or are you just making no, it up? No, I'm just completely along? making it up. Yep. Yep. I should know. Cat, I think it was. To, I think it was to the to the tune of Cat, Cat Scratch, Scratch Fever. Fever, but I, it was just lyrics that I made up because I do that sometimes. I did one. I did one for you know the song uh, "She's Lump." No, no, you don't. Um, uh, it's by um, the, uh, the, the the group that did the remake of um, Michael Jackson's um, "Any Are You Okay?" Smooth Criminal. Yeah, Smooth Criminal. Thank you. Uh, the President of the United States of America, I think it is, or it's the Ant Alien Ant Farm. Yeah, it's Alien Ant Farm. They do a song called "Lump" or something like that, and I made lyrics up because Callie has lumps on her, little like just they're 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 not um, dangerous ones. But uh, she was sitting on my lap the other day, and I was rubbing her belly, and she had a couple, and I started singing that song, and I made up a whole bunch of lyrics to it. It was kind of funny. I can't sing it though because of you know copyright, but it was kind of funny. That story went really a lot of places. Maybe one of these days on the Patreon, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, not a Battlestar Galactica reference in it actually too, so it's kind of neat. That's yeah. my next rewatch. Is it? It's, it's, it's probably going to be my next watch because I haven't even watched it yet. I have the Blu-rays. I have the Blu-rays to the first part of the first season of the first remake. <laughs> Didn't they have like come out with like version two and a two point one? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's also in Peacock, by the way. So oh, all right. um, I have the full series on Blu-ray if you want it, including okay. the um, the miniseries. And the, uh, I think it's Blood and Chrome, perhaps. Or, um, you. yeah. You. Oh, all right. Well, thanks. All right. So, you, uh, you ready to do some news? Uh, uh, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Nine minutes and 55 seconds of utter nothing. <laughs> Dude, you heard 51 years of utter nothing. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Thank you.